Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Lay Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. BDSM is one of the most popular sexual fantasies. In my own research, I found that almost everyone is fantasized about some aspect of BDSM at one time or another. However, despite its widespread popularity, it's a subject that continues to remain widely misunderstood. For me, one of the biggest things that changed the way I think about BDSM was an interview I did with a professional dominatrix a few years back. I'm bringing her onto the show today to give you an inside look at this world. My guest is Stavrila Tosca, an award-winning filmmaker who has received honors from the Sundance Film Festival and countless other festivals around the globe. Stavrula has a reputation for authentic storytelling that pushes boundaries and explores human nature from a unique point of view. Among her many compelling works is a web series called Switch, which chronicles her years of experience working in the BDSM scene, which is what we're going to be focusing on today. Before we dive into our conversation, I'm going to read a short excerpt from an article I wrote about my original interview with Stavrula to frame our conversation. It was a cold winter night and I was huddled up in a dark hotel room in New York City. I climbed into bed, took a sip of whiskey from the minibar, and powered up my laptop. That was the moment I saw her in action for the first time, the dominatrix I had been corresponding with online for a few weeks. I was set to interview her the next day about a web series she created called Switch, which tells the story of how she got into the BDSM world. As I binge-watched the show, I saw Stavrila Tosca, a Greek woman with jet black hair and wide green eyes, transition from meek and mild-mannered into a badass who earns her living by making rich and powerful men her bitches. Before the night was over, I saw Stavrula dressed in a form-fitting leather catsuit. I watched her throw men in cages and make them lick her boots. It felt like a stark contrast when we later met up for the interview, and she greeted me with a hug and the warmest smile you've ever seen. We sat and talked for over an hour about why she became a dominatrix, what her experiences were like, and how it changed the way she sees herself, men, and sex. As a sex educator and researcher, I knew a lot about BDSM, but hearing it firsthand turned out to be a different and way more interesting experience than reading academic journal articles on the subject. It was a captivating conversation, and I know I'll never think about BDSM quite the same way again. I am so excited to revisit this conversation, but before we get to it, this episode is brought to you by Beducated. Beducated is like Netflix for better sex. They have a library of online courses with more than 100 hours of content to help you level up your intimate life. Their courses can be completed individually or with a partner, and you can learn about a ton of topics, including kink and BDSM. Their dominance and submission course runs you through everything you need to know, from consent communication and negotiation to ideas for things to try to aftercare. It's full of practical guidelines to help you and your partner get exactly what you want. You can try all of their courses today for free, and if you like what you see, which I know you will, you can get 70% off the yearly pass by using my last name, Miller, as the coupon code. It's just $7.99 per month, and this discount is locked in forever. Check the show notes for the link or visit beducated.com, and be sure to use my last name to get your discount. All right, let's talk about all things kink. Hi, Stavrula, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am so excited to be doing this with you. I want to call you Justin. Should I be calling you Dr. Lemuller? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. First names only. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Uh, you know, I've been listening to your podcast for so long. I, I've read your book, Tell Me What You Want, a few years ago. 
And if you recall the night that we met for the interview a few years back, I, I was so I felt so silly asking you to autograph it for me, but I really wanted it because you've done such incredible work and such important work with this book. And I think that you're one of the people in America, and I know you do a lot of stuff around the world, a lot of workshops. You elevate the conversation we're having about human sexuality and understanding one another. So it's, um, I'm just really excited and I'm honored to be speaking with you today, Justin. Well, thank you for that. I am so excited to have you join me. And I will always treasure our first meeting because it was such a unique experience. It took place in Olympia Dukakis's apartment in New York. And yeah. I must admit, I was a little intimidated about the whole thing because I had never met a dominatrix before, let alone <laughs> interviewed one. And then there was Olympia, who was this Academy Award winning actress who played Cher's mom in Moonstruck. And she's a badass in her own right. Mm -hmm. But you all made me feel right at ease. And I was so sad to learn about Olympia's recent passing because she was such an amazing woman. And how cool is it that she played a role in your web series as sort of like the den mother for a bunch of dominatrixes when she was in her 80s? You know, I can only hope to be doing fun stuff like that when I'm that age. It was a dream come true. And it was very interesting for me to first have this conversation. The very first time I spoke to Olympia about, I want to do this show. And by the way, I started, well, it was actually her idea when I started telling her about the show. She said, you know what you should do? You should work as a dominatrix. Do it for a month, darling. Just do it for a month for the experience. And I'm like, Olympia, I've been doing it for more than a year. I fucking love it. And this is, so she was what? You know, with her voice and her presence, like this bigger than life person. I, I, I miss her dearly. And I was incredibly lucky to have her in my life and to get her, I think, well, she passed last May at almost a month before she turned 90. So when we were filming Switch, she was 86. Yeah, she was 86 going on 87 when she played that part. And she was one of the biggest cheerleaders for my work and for this particular project because she truly understood the importance of putting stories out there and doing it without any limitations and without any, like taking the risk of saying, this is what it really is. Let's talk about it. So yeah, it was, um, it was a very special evening for us as well, Justin. So I love the story behind how you became a dominatrix. In some ways, you're kind of an accidental dominatrix. As I recall, you had wanted to make a film about women who get paid to dominate men, but you couldn't get anyone to talk to you about it on camera. Dominatrixes didn't want to go public, and their clients didn't either because they were worried about the taboo and stigma. So you really had to immerse yourself in this world in order to understand it. So tell us a little bit about that story and how you got into it in the first place. Yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't know it at the time, but it was quite a life-changing moment for me because I heard the word dominatrix for the first time in my early 30s, and I had no idea. I thought that we were talking about prostitution. And then a good friend of mine explained to me, no, no, no. And that was a guy saying this, you know, these women, what they do is like therapy and it's all sorts of role play and you have a background in acting and you could be so good in it and make so much money. And I was like, but what is he talking about? How is it, how is it possible that I'm a grown woman in my thirties and I don't know anything about this? So I started digging in and the idea came up as a documentary filmmaker at the time to make a documentary about it. And as I started talking with a couple of dominatrixes on the phone, for the most part, 
they were like, I don't know of anyone in our industry who would grant you the access that you want to follow, to follow in essence, women who do this for a living and some of their clients, not only inside the BDSM environment where the role play and the session takes place, but also in their everyday lives. Right. So that's when I, I thought that I had to give up on the project and I wouldn't be able to do anything. And it was just a whole year of research and I couldn't let go. I was so, Justin, I was so fascinated and taken by this aspect of the world we exist in, that this actually exists and people do it, that I, I just couldn't let go. So a couple of weeks later, I literally went on Google search and I wrote, how does a woman begin working as a dominatrix in New York City? And two ads popped up. So one of them I called and I was very honest with them. I told them I didn't have any professional experience. So they pretty much shut me down right away and said that you were not interested. Thanks for calling and just hang up. And I was like, well, that was rude. And then I'm like, well, yeah, of course, you know, why waste their time? And then I called another place and they said that they would train me as, you know, come in for an interview. And that was the professional BDSM establishment that I ended up working on. So I went in for an interview and the manager well, let me just say that the moment that the door opened, it was inside an office building by 42nd and 6th Avenue. And the moment that the door opened, I just walked into an office like every other office I have ever walked into my life. So, so the environment was very professional, welcoming and very, very clean. I say clean because these are the things I noticed, you know, when I when I first walked in, I had a five minute conversation with the manager and she was very I mean, she's been around, you know, but um, she was like, you're going to do really well. You're going to be like a cash cow for this place. And you are, our clients are going to love you because you're very down to earth and you have, you're also tall and Greek and the hair and the accent and you can do, you know, Wonder Woman role play and you can do this and you can do that. And I was just, I was listening to her like a little child. Yeah, so that's how I started working as a dominatrix, thinking, mind you, lying to myself, <laughs> probably, and thinking that I'm going to do this for a couple of weeks. I'm going to build relationships with the women working at that particular establishment and gain their trust and then let them know, hey, would you be willing to meet me outside and participate in my documentary? And I thought this experience was going to last a couple of weeks. I ended up staying in this industry for close to six years. Yeah, a good five and a half years because I, A, it changed my life and B, I, I, I truly loved working as a professional dominatrix in New York. I love that story. And there are so many aspects of it that I want to dive into. But just one of the things that you mentioned was that, you know, this dungeon that you went to where you worked was in the midst of the main business area in mm -hmm. New York City. And I think a lot of people, when they think about something like a BDSM dungeon, wouldn't imagine that it's going to be like in the midst of offices and high-rise buildings and all these other things. And I think that that just speaks to the fact that BDSM is everywhere and it's not, you know, necessarily underground in, in the ways that people might think it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's also, I think that has to do a lot with the way that the this industry has been mis- represented in the media for so long it's either made to be seen as this really like perverted place that all sorts of like sick people and women who are just a little crazy and just want to yell at men right tend to be a part of 
or it's the other way around where you make fun of a dominatrix and, you know, the, the sub, the person who sessions with her. So there's nothing, this is why I really wanted to do switch in my own terms and not wait for anybody to give me the green light, as we say in the entertainment industry, and wanted to put the story, my story, and the stories of these other people that I met along the way out there in the most authentic and genuine way in order to see what it really is and also honor and celebrate what it is that they do, because I think that's what they deserve. Yeah. And when you think about popular media portrayals of BDSM, yours is very different from most of the others that I've seen. And so I appreciate the thought, care, effort, and attempt to represent authenticity in an area where we don't often see that. So what was initially meant to be a short immersion became a full-fledged career for you pretty quickly. And as you said, the money was good, but you also enjoyed the work and you learned a lot about yourself in the process. So can you tell us a little bit about how being a dominatrix changed the way that you see yourself? Yeah, so it's interesting because just to give people a little of my background, I was born and raised in a small town in Greece, a very patriarchal society where we lost my father when my brother and I were very young and my mom's only concern was to raise me to be a good girl so that I can find someone to marry me in my small town, right? By the time I hit 22, 24. So I was raised to be submissive and keep quiet and not argue and not really express my opinion if that would make someone else unhappy. And that's just not in a patriarchal society or a small town in Greece. We see that everywhere all around the world to this day, correct? Especially when it comes to raising our girls, our women. So all of a sudden now, fast forward to like, you know, 20 something years later, I find myself in New York City in a place where actually I get paid a lot of money to raise my voice, to tell people what to do, to express myself freely when I don't agree. And the other thing was that, and Justin, you know this because of your work, role play is such a great way to discover things about yourself, let alone have a lot, a lot of fun in the process, right? But you discover so much about yourself. And as you do this day in and day out, you start walking a little taller, right? Like you own your shit. You're like, this is, oh, I'm sorry. Excuse my language. <laughs> oh, no, you can swear. <laughs> Thank you. Excellent. So you, oh, that was another thing, you know, permission to swear. I mean, there were just so many sessions that swearing was actually allowed and welcome as part of the role play that it was like, I fucking love this. You know, this is so liberating. And it's interesting because also this is a job that can take an emotional toll on you because in those rooms, when you're doing the session behind closed doors, there's a lot of trauma that comes up in the surface. There's a lot of things from our past that are looking to heal and to be released, right? So it can be emotionally exhausting, but I remember every single day, every single session that I had, more or less, it was also exhilarating and I felt like I was dropping pounds every time, right? So you walk taller, you feel lighter, because you start understanding better who you are and because you see in those rooms during those sessions what each and every one of us is dealing. The very successful CEO, I mean, I had clients that, you know, I saw them on the cover of the Forbes magazine. I had clients that I was like, oh my God, I know who this person is, right? Like I've, I've seen him on TV or whatever. I've had clients who was like, you know, 
the firefighter or the police officer or the construction worker. And at some point, I would love to talk a little about the misconceptions when it comes to this world and who really exists in it, because there's just so many of them. But as you help other people figure out their own crap, you don't realize in the beginning that you're also figuring out yours. And this idea of, you know, when you start thinking that it's okay that I feel this way, it's totally fine that I am that way, right? And I choose to be okay with it now and accept it and put it out into that world. It's just, it's incredibly healing. So, and empowering. It's very, very empowering. Plus, you know, for women, doing this professional domination is not considered prostitution. So the fact that you get to keep your clothes on and make a lot of money in the process without having to like, you know, strip or anything like that. And it's all about your intellect and how you connect with the other person and what you're able to offer them during the session. I find that to be very empowering and I understand why so many students especially in New York, you know, girls from NYU at Columbia University that I used to work with, they would rather do that and make a lot of money in order to pay for their student loans and stuff instead of any other job. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I agree with you that when it comes to something like role play, it's a way to explore different sides of yourself because many of us feel constrained to act or be a certain way in the world and also in the bedroom. And so role playing can be this very liberating way where you can kind of tap into different things, explore different ways of interacting or engaging with the world around you. And that can change the way that you see yourself because maybe you realize that you're capable of things that you didn't think you were capable of. And then when other people start treating you differently, that changes the way that you see yourself and helps to build up confidence. And so there can be that sort of therapeutic value of role play in helping to expand your own self-understanding. So I appreciate you sharing all of that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about your clients for a minute and the men who visit dominatrixes. So as you mentioned, it's a pretty diverse group of men in terms of their backgrounds and their motivations, and it doesn't necessarily line up with the stereotypes that people hold about who might visit a professional dominatrix. So as you've told me before, some of these people are rich Wall Street types. Others are mm -hmm. literally saving up their lunch money all month to come and see you. It's a you know special treat for them. Also, you know some of these men have fantasies that they want to explore, but they've been shamed by their partners previously for even expressing it. And so they have this opportunity in a shame-free way to explore that side of themselves. You also have some people who are tapping into previous pain and trauma and working through that, others who are seeking balance in their lives. So it's this very diverse group of people. So tell us a little bit more about some of the various characters you encountered in this line of work. Yeah, yeah. This is actually one of my favorite things to talk about because when I share with people about the work that I've done or they've seen switch and they reach out, this is one of the biggest stereotypes that just, you know, falls, is completely crumbled by the end of our conversation. I will tell you that, well, it's a world that's mostly men coming as clients, obviously, but there's also some women and couples as well who come into, you know, play and experiment with the dominatrix and, you know, learn something about role play and whatnot. But I was completely taken aback to see people from all walks of life. And that goes for the women who do this, right? They're women from all, all walks of life. They look 
anything you can imagine, tall, short, you know, blonde, it does skin color, anything goes. And the man, I was very surprised to see not only the typical CEO type who just wants to be controlled for a change, right? And told what to do instead of being the alpha male 24-7, but a lot of young guys in their early 20s, students who wanted to be dominated and wanted to have this experience. I had clients much older in their, you know, 70s, mid to late 70s, who were also looking for something that they couldn't get anywhere else. And then everything in between, every profession you can imagine, every race, ethnicity, every religious background that you can imagine. And this was like, oh my God, Like everybody needs this. Because you know, Justin, at the end of the day, haven't we all suppressed as we've been growing up, right? Haven't we all suppressed so much when it comes to our sexuality? I mean, one of the saddest parts about this was when I had to deal with clients who were very upfront about the fact that I feel kind of bad being here, but because there's no sex involved, I don't feel like I'm cheating on my wife or my partner. But here's the thing. I did ask her a couple of times to try something different or to wear something or to even for the client to actually, oh, I want like, you know, puppy role play or whatever it is, just stuff that's also silly, but so much fun. And they just, you just let loose and you enjoy sex more afterwards, but they would be shut down or even worse, they would be embarrassed. So it, it was really interesting to just seeing that, you know, everybody needs this. Yeah, that's consistent with what I see in my research on BDSM fantasies is that, you know, people across the lifespan, different demographic backgrounds, you know, any walk of life, people can have this fantasy. So it is much more common than we tend to think. And it doesn't line up with a lot of the popular stereotypes that people have about it. Also, the other thing is that I had a lot of clients over the years who told me that once they started feeling more comfortable, they revealed to me that actually their therapist had suggested that they go see a dominatrix and try some sort of role play to resolve mama trauma or anything else that was, you know, torturing them in a way to just let it loose and in, a, in an environment that they feel safe with a person who's compassionate, open-minded and open-hearted also to allow them and say, tell me, tell you know, your book, tell me what you want and then figure out the why and how can we structure the session to be able to help you better and that we can both have fun and walk away better from it. Yeah. Now, in some of our previous discussions we've had about this, you've talked about how many men have visited you because they want to be punished because they've done something bad. And so it's a way mm -hmm. of sort of seeking balance in their life. So for example, you've told me about some men who committed infidelity, and then they came to you to be punished rather yeah. than to confess it to their spouse and yeah. you know, accept the, the consequences that way. Yeah. And you've also told me about these powerful Wall Street guys who come in sometimes wanting to do jail fantasy role play where you would dress up as a cop, they would confess their crimes. And, you know, again, it was this way of seeking balance for them because they were doing things during the day where they're, you know, taking advantage of Main Street and knowing that what they're doing, the decisions they're making have these very powerful negative consequences on people around the country. And so to seek balance, to be able to sleep at night, they have to come mm -hmm. to you to be 
punished. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? I mean, it's crazy, right? Like I would have never, ever thought. Um, this reminded me, by the way, well, I'll get to that, but I've had plenty of clients over the years who were very clear, listen, I'm an asshole and I get away with it all the time. At work, at home, there's no consequences. That's what I do. And I want to know what it would feel like if I were to spend a night in jail, you know, for while I'm waiting for my lawyer to come through and I don't know what's going to happen. And we're talking about these clients would also book me for like eight hour sessions, 12 hour sessions, quite often literally an overnight session so that it makes the fantasy more real. Telling their partner, their spouse that they're going on a trip or they have to stay in their apartment in the city and actually spending the whole night in a BDSM establishment inside a jail cell, right? And being interrogated and not being allowed to sleep all night. And that's what I'm talking about, the exhaustion, you know, part when it comes to this. But I feel like we're all raised with a sense of what's right and what's wrong, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate. More or less, everyone knows what's illegal or illegal, you know, these days. So these guys would have, would have no qualms about admitting, listen, I fuck up a lot of people. We take money, we do this, we do that. We get away with all of it because we have lobbies and we have this and we have that. But I just, I can't sleep at night. I need to receive some sort of punishment. I need to know there's some sort of consequences, even if it's just in my head. So it's kind of like it makes you pause. And the first time that I heard this um, scenario, I was like, wow, you've really thought this like type of role play through. He was like, no, no, I'm being like 100% fucking honest with you. Like, this is my life. I would also get, and I don't know if I shared that with you in, in that interview a few years back, I would also get quite a few police officers who were doing things that weren't supposed to be doing. And they were looking for some sort of punishment. Again, you know, th this would remind me of, uh, we've seen the images of a Catholic priest at the end of the night asking for forgiveness, right? At the end of the day, that self-flagellation. This was pretty much, no one else is going to punish me. I'm getting away with X, Y, Z, but I need to have, find some punishment for myself in order to be able, I guess, to balance things. And um, there's so many people who are into that. There's so many people who do that just to get through the day. And then I had other clients who were like, like I said, what I said before, I fuck with people all the time. I give my assistant a hard time just because she puts up with it and she needs the money. And I know I'm a dick, but this is what I do. So I want you to tie me up. Don't even ask me, give me a safe word and you just do whatever you want to me. So when I would hear that their assistants are female, they're like other women that they're going through God knows what, just because they need to survive and they need the job. I was, those were actually some of my favorite clients because they would give me the green light to do whatever I wanted with them. And because I kept thinking that this is payback for what they're doing to that other female mm -hmm. in their life. So as a woman myself, having dealt with people like that before, you know, A, I started thinking, so when I had that boss or that supervisor all these years ago, huh? So those clients would pay for, you know, my my trauma <laughs> as well but uh, again pretty pretty interesting stuff that is all fascinating 
Now, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, which I think is a common misconception about BDSM, which is that it's always about sex. And you never had sex with any of your clients, and nudity wasn't really even part of it either. So in the world of professional domination, it's really more about psychology than it is about sex, isn't it? If I were going to use, because someone asked me that a couple of days ago, if I were going to use one word to describe a dominatrix, I would just say a therapist. It's a form of therapy. There's Justin, there's something very special that happens in those rooms during a session. And that's why the bond between a dominatrix and her submissive, her client, let's call them a client, is just so important. And there are people that once they find their dominatrix, they're going to stick with her for years to come, right? It's fascinating how the human mind works, how we limit ourselves And then we find ourselves behind closed doors where the dominatrix is fully dressed because you're the one in charge, you're the one in control, right? And the outfit sometimes can be a little revealing depending on the session. But I can tell you that nine out of 10 times I was with, you know, turtlenecks or a catsuit that's all the way, zips up all the way to the top. And again, they like that because you're in control. It's a reminder. I got my clothes on. I have nothing to worry about. The clients, a lot of the men, would get completely naked at the beginning of the session because especially for men, but for all of us humans, you know, just taking your clothes off, especially for the first time in front of a stranger, you feel completely vulnerable, right? Like everything just comes out for you. And that stranger is sitting across from you on a throne. You're paying them a lot of money. They're just looking at you up and down. And start asking you, you know, start asking the client a bunch of questions. And for men, this is pretty much the fastest way to access their vulnerability, I came to find out in that world. So after that, and I tell you, the things that came up for people during this session, there's been quite a few times where um, as soon as the session wrapped up and the client exited, I just went to the bathroom crying. But again, you feel so connected with that person and what they're sharing with you is so incredibly intimate. And it's something that for most of these guys has been buried for so many years. And when they just literally kiss your hand and your feet on their way out and keep telling you that, I don't know how to thank you, Mistress Cassandra. You just, you just took away 17 years of this weight that I've been carrying with me. Like, I'm going to sleep tonight. I don't need to take pills. It's incredibly rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. What's empowering about all of this is just you come to understand that we're all just humans having this physical experience on this planet. And it doesn't matter, you know, how accomplished you may be, how, uh, how many followers you have online or how big your house is or whatever. We tend to think of people who have accomplished a certain level of success as, wow, they got it all figured out and put them on a pedestal. And I came to see while I was in that world that, nope, it's not like that at all. All I can say is it sounds like a truly fascinating job. Now, we have much more to discuss, including why Home Depot is a one-stop shop for dominatrix supplies. But first, a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Looking to become a certified sex educator, counselor, or therapist? Check out the Modern Sex Therapy Institutes. MSTI offers certifications in sex therapy, LGBTQIA affirmative therapy, alternative relationships, and more, as well as a PhD program in clinical sexology. All programs can be completed 100% online, 
and are flexible and customizable to meet the needs and schedules of even the busiest participants. You can take live courses the third weekend of each month and choose from over 300 archived workshops taught by renowned experts in the field. For more information, visit ModernSexTherapyInstitutes.com. That's ModernSexTherapyInstitutes.com. Studies show that as many as one in three men say they don't last as long in bed as they'd like to. Fortunately, there's a solution for this, and it's called Promescent. Promescent is a topical spray that boosts sexual stamina through temporary desensitization. Promescent is customizable for your body, and when used as directed, it won't transfer to your partner. Use it alone or in combination with other techniques for faster, more reliable results. Check it out, and you'll see why thousands of physicians and sexual health providers recommend it. Promescent offers a 60-day money-back guarantee, free shipping on orders over $10, and discreet shipping to guarantee privacy. Learn more and place an order at promescent.com. That's P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T dot com. And we're back. So right before the break, I mentioned Home Depot, and I imagine a lot of people's ears perked up. So as you've told me before, you used to buy most of your supplies, including ropes, wooden paddles, and chains at the store. And part of the appeal was that you could get everything customized. You know, for example, they'll cut your wood in the specific dimensions that you need. So I can't walk into Home Depot anymore without looking around and wondering, like, (laughs) who's there, like, buying stealth sex toys? (laughs) So I will tell you, first of all, Home Depot needs to be one of the sponsors for this podcast. This amazing they should podcast be. <laughs> of yours. Like, get them on board. But it was just amazing because I wanted, you know, I, I went to a couple of shops in the city that sell, you know, sex shops that sell all sorts of, um, you know, handcuffs and this and that. And I just came to realize, mm, okay, I'm looking at this paddle right now, but I need something a little bigger for me. Or I have a session next week with a client who specifically requested XYZ type of dimensions for the panel for the panel or whatever. So I just said to myself, why don't I try Home Depot? And I went to Home Depot and I went into the area with the wood and all the, the ropes. I mean, they have like a thousand different types of rope, the thin one, the softer one, the tougher one. And because every client, especially after you session with a, I session with a client a couple of times and we become, you know, very comfortable and we're both like, okay, this is a good match. You know, there's chemistry, we clicked, we get along fine, we'll keep sessioning together. They're like, oh, Mistress Cassandra, can you please do me a big favor? Like, you know, send you the money, please, you know, can you pick up this type of rope. Can we do this? Can we do that? I've been like, oh, great. Also, a lot of times, and I don't know if you've heard of this before, but that's when Home Depot comes um, handy again. A lot of times they would want to use kitchen tools for a certain type of punishment. So of course, I didn't want to take my spatula from my kitchen. And you know, I'm a Greek woman, Justin. I cook like all the time. I'm like, I'll be damned if this spatula, you know, ends up on somebody's, you know, Behind, I have to go back to Home Depot. So here's a list again of all sorts of kitchen products that I would need to get just for the sessions. But yeah, I'll say it again. Home Depot needs to sponsor this podcast. (laughs) Well, if anyone from Home Depot is listening, I'm happy (laughs) to have you on board as a sponsor anytime. Yes. Now, something I'm curious about is what do you know about how the pandemic changed work for dominatrixes, right? We know that a lot of work just in general went online during lockdown, and that was true for a lot of folks in the sex work industry. So was that also the case in the world of BDSM? 
Yeah, and you know, the, the, I mean, the pandemic has changed our world in so many ways, but I will say that it, um, I've spoken with one too many professional dominatrixes here in New York, a couple of my friends in Los Angeles who do this for a living, and it has affected them tremendously. For me, broke my heart to hear about this. Mistress Ariana Sevalier here in New York City had to shut down Parthenon, the rap, her rubber studio, which had been in the scene for almost two decades and which was such an important place for me as a professional dominatrix, but also as a filmmaker, because Mistress Ariana welcomed us into her space and trusted me, A, as a dominatrix to rent space from her when I started working as an independent. Her place was always clean and safe and people treated you and your clients with the utmost respect. So I always loved that about her and the Parthenon. And then when I, as a filmmaker, I went back to her and I said, hey, I decided to tell my story. I want to shoot a few scenes here. She made it very easy for me to use that space. And everyone in the cast and crew was like blown away. Even actors who were not working on the days that we were filming at the Parthenon just wanted to show up and have the experience of being in that space. So she had to shut down. Like, you know, they lasted for about a year and then they were not able to stay open. I also know the few dominatrixes who never really enjoyed financial domination, even though I think it's great, but they ended up getting into financial domination because it's something that you can do from the safety of your own home and you don't have to go and meet anybody. But a lot of women decided to just leave the business altogether and a lot of other women and their clients decided to get really creative with sessioning online or just once, you know, they released the, the, the requirements, what the government, the mandates about how we start going back to work and what we need to be doing. They just wanted to make sure they create a clean, healthy, safe environment for the clients to go back to them. But I will tell you that I was very happy not to be working anymore as a dominatrix when the pandemic hit because it's uh it took a toll on people yeah yeah and i've talked to a few other people who work in this area so for example when i taught my study abroad course in the netherlands last year i talked to a professional dominatrix over there and they had much more strict lockdown restrictions mm -hmm. than other parts of the world and so they literally could not have any clients in person whatsoever and they weren't set up to do virtual type work they had never done that before and so they basically just had to survive by selling off all of their bdsm equipment and gear and furniture and all of that so i understand it was a very challenging time for a lot of folks in this area now Something that you've said before that's always stuck with me is that you said that you think every woman should have the experience of being a dominatrix at some point. So can you tell us why you say that? I stand by that statement, yes. Uh, <laughs> all this time later, working as a dominatrix, and I can go by my own experience, but I tell you at this point, because I got into this about eight or going on nine years ago and then I stopped doing this because for a while I was also doing the job part-time but I stopped officially stopped doing this a couple of years ago before the pandemic so I have spoken with countless dominatrixes over the years in all sorts of ethnic backgrounds and ages right so it's a place where you get to discover what you're made of but you also get to discover what the world is made of. So 
when I talk about the CEOs who would come to me or the police officers with their own, you know, traumas and fantasies. And again, our fantasies reveal so much about who we are and where we are in this, at this particular time in our lives. So being able to see what the experience is for other humans makes you smarter, makes you wiser. As a result, you get more in touch with yourself and you become more powerful and you start dealing with the world in a different way. I can go, I mean, my friends at this point know whoever, and this just happened actually this past weekend in LA, we got into a situation with um, a gentleman who was very unpleasant and literally everybody in the group turned around and looked at me because they were like, Stavrula is going to know how to deal with him. So it's it just one of those things. And if you take those lessons and, you know, I've been writing a book about all this actually, where I take the lessons that I learned inside a dungeon of all places and apply them in my everyday life, how I deal with my family, how I deal with my collaborators, how I deal with my boyfriend, and it just makes a world of a difference. So yeah, that's why I think every woman should have that experience, even if it's only for a month, like work as a dominatrix or speak to your partner and say, hey, for the next 30 days, here's how I want us to exist in our house or here what I want us to try. You, you will be amazed at what's going to come up. And by the way, Justin, there's so many women out there, um, men too, but I want to talk to women for, on this one. There's so many women out there who think that being a dominatrix, being dominant, this idea, you know, you're a boss bitch or this or that, right? Like you're never going to hear them. people say you're a boss asshole to a man. You're a boss, man. You got this. You own it. You know what you're doing. So with women, this idea of a dominatrix being dominant, in charge, in control, it doesn't mean that you have to yell at people or you have to be mean or you have to be bitchy or you have to be like this horrible, angry person all the time who walks around ordering people to do things every single day. I mean, you get more bees with honey. You said that you were very surprised when you watched the series on one night and the next evening we met and I welcomed you with this big smile and I hugged you and I did it. It was very genuine, right? And it's it just, you get more bees with honey. It's, it's as simple as that. I had a lot of clients who wanted to be approached in a firm, but also kind, compassionate, sweet way. And I had some clients who... It's like raising a kid. There are kids that you're going to tell them, no, you can't have this right now. Put it down and they understand. There are kids that you need to scream out of your lungs for them to listen to you. It's not that much different with adults. So yeah, I hope uh, people keep this in mind and keep an open mind and an open heart about this and get to experiment because it will help. It will help a lot. Yeah. I appreciate everything you said. And you're right. You did help me break stereotypes that I myself had about people mm -hmm. in this field and area. You know, I, as a sex researcher and educator, I'm not immune from having my own preconceived ideas about things, but that's yeah. why it's so important to talk to people who have different life experiences. And like I said at the beginning of the show, you fundamentally changed the way that I think about BDSM. And I've met a lot of dominatrixes since, and you've all been so helpful to me in how I think about this area. And I get so much more insight from talking to you all <laughs> as opposed to just reading dry academic journal articles on the subject. So you have to have that human element present, I think, to really learn about and understand complex topics like this. 
Now, we talked earlier about the stigma and taboo of BDSM, and it's so interesting how taboo this subject is when you consider how popular the fantasy of BDSM is, and when you consider how mainstream BDSM seems to be if you look at the popularity of something like Fifty Shades of Grey. So why do you think this stigma is still so strong and pervasive? Um, I think, I mean, if you look around us every single day, BDSM is everywhere fashion, music videos, I mean, every element of pop culture, but also you just look at, you know, two politicians going at it, trying to dominate the one and the other. And, you know, it's just, it's everywhere. It's in their houses. It's everywhere. I had to pitch to a couple of different studios this last couple of years, the web series to be developed into a TV series. And some of the feedback that I got was, we love it. We haven't seen anything like it, right? but it's too sobering. It's too real. It's too authentic. And I'm like, oh, but Hollywood keeps talking about how they're looking for the next new voice and authenticity and genuine storytelling and this and that. And then it's too real, right? Too authentic, too sobering. And it's kind of like disheartening because I'm like, when are we going to really put our shit out there and own it? And make it part of, like, say, let's create this TV show and let's show people that, yeah, this happens and that happens. But no, they just want to put a red bow on everything pretty much and serve it to us, you know, looking all sexy and pretty and maybe push the envelope just a tiny bit. So I think that as long as the people who make the decisions, uh, whether it's in politics or the Hollywood studio system or whatever, whether these people are these, you know, older, mostly male, white male executives, this is going to be something that's just too much for them. But Justin, I also feel that this is an ever-evolving world, right? And I think that the time is coming. I think that we're getting closer with this type of material is out there in a bigger way and it's celebrated and that the time will come. But, you know, in the meantime, people like you, people like me, people like the women that I know, we're just working to put it out there because we understand how huge this industry is. And it's also because it's a world that people reveal so many things that they consider to be ugly and socially unacceptable. You know, this is why they want to protect this world. But everyone leads three lives, right? You have your private life, your public life, and your secret life. So it's, um, it's, it's only a matter of time. I truly believe that. Yeah. And I agree with you that so many popular media portrayals of sex just give you this very sanitized version of it. You know, there's not a lot of realness, not a lot of authenticity in a lot of the portrayals that we see. And I think a lot of it has to do with the sexual shame that we as a society face and that many of the people who are making these sex shows and other things hold themselves, right? And so we really need to confront that shame first, I think, before we'll really see a a lot more advancement in terms of how sex is portrayed and discussed in the media. Yeah. And it really, I feel like a lot of that stuff starts at home, the conditioning, right? Of whether it's, you know, I wish I had been taught at a younger age, not as a five-year-old, but also as a teenager, right? When you start discovering your body and your hormones are messing with you and you have urges or thoughts, or you're so curious to discover the other sex or the same sex or whatever it is. I wish that, you know, within the family, 
these conversations were taking place in order to empower the kids to know how to protect themselves, how to play safe, how to be okay with whatever is going on in their body to just, okay, let's sit down. Tell me what's going on. It's as simple as that, right? It would make a huge difference. And I think as a result, I truly believe that the world would be a better place. There's so much damage being done into this world just because people are sexually frustrated and people cannot openly discuss what is going on up here and in here. It's got to start changing for the better. We, we have to do better. Yeah. And the data speak for itself, right? If you look at, for example, places where you have comprehensive sex education that begins at a young age, you have much better outcomes across the board. So I totally agree that we would all do better to talk more openly about sex and to give people better sex education. Now, speaking of that, we're running short on time, but I have one other question for you, which is, what advice do you have to people who are curious about BDSM but have never explored this world before? What do you need to know and how do you get started? Because I can imagine for a lot of people, it might seem very intimidating. So where do you begin? I would say, I mean, there's plenty of stuff online, but when you research something online, it could go either way. I would say that if you're generally curious and you want to explore, first of all, start by talking about it with your friends with the people close to you, with your partner, with your parents, if you're comfortable enough. Again, BDSM is also part of the stigma is because so many people, when you don't know something and you assume, you think that you know something, that's when a lot of the issues take place. But it's not just like, you know, violence. You're going to tie someone up, you know, against whatever, on a chair and torture them and make them bleed and suffer in order to what exactly? You know, and there are people who are into this kind of thing, and it's not my place to judge anybody. If that works for them and there's consent on both sides, and that's a whole other conversation. But I think that you start by speaking with the people closest to you that you're comfortable with. Most likely you will be surprised when they say, I was curious about that. I've been looking at some videos, but I don't get it. And then Find find a professional dominatrix online, someone who has good reviews on Yelp or someone who has a website that looks legit. Reach out to them and say, hey, could I book? You don't have to book an in-person consultation. Ask them if they would be willing to speak to you on the phone for 15 minutes and answer a couple of questions. Watch Switch the Series on switchtheseries.com. I get, just so you know, I get through my Switch and the Tosca Matrix website and social media I get all the time, all the time, I get very often asked about, you know, BDSM and how you get into it and how you explore or how do you even go about speaking to your partner that, hey, I would like to try this and that. And I find that a bit sad because a lot of these people are grown men and grown women reaching out and they still don't know or don't feel confident enough to sit down with their partner over a glass of wine and be like, babe, I was thinking you know, how about this? Or why don't we try that? Or do you think that's silly? Just a very conversation between two humans, right? A very honest conversation. And then the other thing is that plenty of women, especially during the pandemic, back to your other question from before, during the pandemic, I got so many messages about women saying, I lost my job and I was thinking I would like to try working as a dominatrix. 
how do I go about it? So I thought that was also very interesting. Yeah, but I think you start from whoever is close to you, have an open conversation, and you will be pleasantly surprised to hear that the other person was also considering something similar. Thank you for sharing that. And I think you probably blew some people's minds when you said that you can find professional dominatrix reviews on Yelp. I don't know that a lot of people necessarily would have thought you could go there to, you know, sort of explore this world. Yes. <laughs> now, just to add a couple of things to what you were saying, I think another important part of all of this is beginning with really self-understanding and self-acceptance, right? Because I think if you feel a lot of shame about, say, an interest in BDSM, that's going to come across when you talk about it with a partner or someone else. So I think the self-understanding piece is also really crucial. Having the open communication cast is super important. And then I think it's a process of education, but finding good, reliable sources, avoiding the fictionalized accounts. You know, Fifty Shades of Grey is not a how-to manual. So, you know, do your research, find reliable sources, and then it's a matter of baby steps, right? It's, as I often like to say, it's baby steps to whips and chains, and you might not even get there. You know, that doesn't, you don't have to go to something really intense in order to explore or enjoy this world, right? So BDSM can be anything you want it to be. And most people who engage in it stick to the more mild end of things, you know? So it's finding out what works for you, what you and your partner are comfortable with. So it's all about the open and honest communication, negotiation, and of course, above all, consent. Yeah, I'm thinking of a metaphor as I hear you say this, and I want to say BDSM is like going to the gym or like lifting weights. You don't start at lifting 200 pounds, right? You build up to it. So you experiment, you see how your body reacts, you see if you're turned on, you see if mentally also, you know, this is something that you're like, okay, emotionally, physically, sexually, psychologically, it turns me on, it does something for me. But it's also really important to say this, that you decide, someone decides to share with their partner or a dear friend of theirs that they're thinking about, hey, I want to try something new. If the person makes you feel like you're being weird or sick or perverted or they try to shame you in any way and make you feel bad, um, you need to really question if you want this person in your life. That's, that's another thing. That's where a lot of relationships, and I'm not talking just romantic relationships, but friendships or within the family. They feel if the person is not interested to genuinely listen to what you're communicating and instead of making a judgment, actually say, oh, that's interesting. How come you want to do this? Or what is it that made you even think about it in the first place and get the conversation going? Then you really want to consider if this person should continue being in your life. Mm -hmm. I agree. So thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Stavrula. It was a pleasure to have you here and a lot of fun as always. Please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work. Thank you so much, Justin. So people can find out about the films that I make and everything else on my website, thetoscamatrix.com. I'm not big on social media, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm on Facebook, I'm LinkedIn. And then when it comes to Switch, the series I created about my experiences as a dominatrix, you can watch the first season of the show on switchtheseries.com and follow us on Instagram switch the series. And I was also going to say, whoever is listening to this and hasn't read your book yet, it was such an eye-opening book for me to read, even though I had already been working as a dom and knew a lot, but I felt that really you committed to it and you did a fantastic job. 
So when it comes to understanding human sexuality in this world that we exist in, I think Tell Me What You Want is a must read. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want, for a deep dive into the world of BDSM fantasies. And be sure to watch Switch, for an authentic portrayal of the world of professional domination. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.